Hi and welcome to Youth Talk, a podcast ran by Baptist Youth where in each episode we take a different topic and think about it from the perspective of a Christian young person. In today's episode we're thinking about the issue of abortion. It's one which is hotly debated, but where should Christians stand when it comes to this difficult topic? Stay tuned. Well, just last week, there was big breaking news in America. It was leaked that the Supreme Court were attempting to overthrow a historic decision made in this Roe versus Wade case way back in the 1970s, which really stated that the US Constitution should protect women who seek to have an abortion without excessive overreach from the US government. And of course, this has really led to and reignited the whole abortion debate in the United States. Uh, people are talking about it really quite a lot at the moment. And of course, things that happen in the United States affect us here in the UK. And the debate has been raging again about the morality behind abortion. Uh, by and large, you have two categories of people, don't you? You've got those who are pro-life, who believe that it's never morally acceptable to terminate a pregnancy. You've got those in the other camp who are pro-choice, who believe that it can be morally acceptable to terminate a pregnancy. And of course, those who fall into that pro-choice category, they, they have a variety of positions. There are those who believe that uh, you can terminate a pregnancy, but only quite early on, maybe after a few weeks or a few months. And there are those who believe that it's morally acceptable to terminate a pregnancy a little bit later on. So there are a variety of positions within the pro-choice categories. But to be overly simplistic, there are two categories, uh, pro-life, pro-choice. And so really what I want to do in this episode of Youth Talk is to think about this discussion, to think about the issue of abortion. And again, as we do in Youth Talk, I want to think about it from the perspective of a Christian young person. And there are a number of ways you could approach that. Um, I could just quote Bible verses at you. And uh, in many ways, that should be persuasive for you if you're watching this and you're a Christian, um, because the Bible is our ultimate authority. The Bible is the thing that we believe to be true and to be our guide. And, but that's not actually what I'm going to do. Um, obviously, historically, Christians um, hold to a pro-life position, and that's really what I want to submit to you today, um, why I, I believe that pro-life is uh, the most consistent and moral position to hold, particularly as a Christian. Uh, but I'm not just going to do that by quoting Bible verses at you, uh, because I'm aware that for many of you, you perhaps are having these discussions with friends, with classmates, many of whom perhaps aren't Christians at all. And so for you, as you try to discuss these things with your friends, it's not very effective just for you to quote the Bible to them, because that's a source of authority which they don't really accept for their own lives. Um, and I actually don't think you need to quote Bible verses to come to the conclusion that the pro-life position is the position which is the most consistent and the most moral. Um, that's my personal conviction, and that's the convictions of most people who would fall into the pro-life category. And it's important to acknowledge, isn't it, that it's not just that it's only Christians who fall into the pro-life category. Of course, there are many, many people who would consider themselves pro-life who are not Christians or maybe even have any religious affiliations whatsoever. Um, but I want to submit to you why I find the pro-life position to be the most persuasive. And uh, right from the office, we have a discussion like this. We want to acknowledge that this is not some sort of cold, theoretical discussion. Um, the issue of abortion is one which is a live one. It's fully loaded. It's a part of many people's stories. And maybe you're watching this and it's a part of your story. Whether you're a woman who's had an abortion or whether you know someone who's had an abortion. Maybe you've, you're passionately pro-choice. Maybe you're passionately pro-life. Um, maybe you've made decisions or been affected by decisions that you, you, you're still pleased with or maybe you, you regret them deeply. Um, and so this is not my attempt to, to kind of spark some heated debate and to kind of pour coal on the fire. Um, this is just me acknowledging that this is a really, really important issue. It's a live issue. It's one that we need to address because it's a very important issue. 
And whether you're pro-life or you're pro-choice, we all should acknowledge that this is a very, very important issue. And it's one that we need to talk about. And the worst thing we could do is just to shut down all discussion about it and only accept one position and not tolerate another position or even listen to them. And so this is really my attempt to humbly, I suppose, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this will come across humble, uh, humbly submit to you why I feel and why most Christians and pro-lifers are convinced that the pro-life um, uh, position is the one to be uh, most consistent, most logical and the moral position. So that's what I want to try and do today. And I uh, really want to do two things as we seek to do that uh, very briefly. The first thing I want to do is to ask which, what I think is the, the key question, the most fundamental question as it relates to the abortion discussion, the question that underpins everything else. It's the first thing I want to do is seek to answer that question. Then the second thing I want to do in light of answering that question is maybe address some of the very common objections against those who hold to a pro-life position. Um, some of the objections that, that you'll have heard before, things like, well, what about cases of rape? You know, how can you justify a pro-life position when some people have abortions because they've been raped? Um, another one is, surely we don't have a right to tell a woman what to do with her body. Um, other objections might be, you know, isn't a baby in the womb merely just a cluster of cells? So what would be wrong with terminating a cluster of cells? Um, fourthly, um, well, if the baby in the womb, in, in many cases, were to be born, they wouldn't have any standard of life anyway, so it's better off that we just dispose of them. And the fifth one is, if people who are campaigning for these pro-life positions, if they invested more energy into adoption, um, then that would make more sense and it would spare them from being hypocrites. So why don't they care more about adoption um, than kind of standing up against abortion and preventing people the right to abort? So those are five objections that you've heard, um, really wrapped around some very famous slogans that we commonly hear, things like my body, my choice, no uterus, no opinion. You've heard them all, and they're very, very common. Hopefully I can uh, help us unpack some of those slogans a little bit, because one of the things that, that happens in this debate is it just is dictated by sound bites, and sound bites are easy to communicate and get a good following and a good movement, but they're not always very helpful when a discussion is more nuanced than just sound bites. And so hopefully we'll, we'll think through some of those sound bites and think about actually what is the best way of approaching this issue that goes beyond the sound bite. So those are two things we want to do. So let's look at the first thing that I just said there. Let's think about the key question that that's, needs to be considered when it relates, as it relates to abortion. And the key question I think is this, when does human life begin? When does human life begin? That is the fundamental question that needs to be answered as it relates to the abortion debate. And the reason that is the fundamental question that needs to be answered is, that, is because we can all agree, whether you're pro-life or you're pro-choice, we can all agree that it's wrong to terminate life. Can't we all agree on that? Like it's wrong for me to go out in the street and to end the life of a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old or an 80-year-old. It's wrong for me to terminate their life. Why? Because they are a life. They're a human life. And because they're a human life, they have inherent value. Okay? So we can all agree on that. That's the common ground that we can all hopefully establish. It's morally wrong to terminate human life. And so the key question is then, well, when does human life begin? Um, people who are pro-life like me, we would say that life begins at conception. I think that's the most consistent and logical place to say that life begins. Life begins at conception. It's at that point that um, you know, a whole new genetic code is formed within this embryo and their DNA, their unique DNA is established. It's at that point when this, what you might define as a cluster of cells, when left to its own devices, will develop and go through the natural process of human development. I think it's at 
conception that life actually begins. Um, and I think that's the most consistent place to say and to deem life as beginning because all the other places you might deem after that to say life begins, I think when you extend that logic beyond life in the womb, your argument very quickly falls down. So for example, someone who's pro-choice might say, well, life doesn't begin until the, the fetus has a detectable heartbeat. And so it's fine to you know, terminate a pregnancy within the first, say, 28 days, because for the first 28 days, there's no detectable heartbeat. But after day 28, at that point, because there's a detectable heartbeat, um, that fetus can be considered a human life, and it's morally wrong to terminate it. But before then, it's fine, because there's no heartbeat. But the problem with that is, if you extend that logic to life outside the womb, you're, you're, you're being very inconsistent, because that's not what we believe to be true for fully grown adults. We don't believe that fully grown adults who don't have a fully functioning heart cease to be human because their heart is not fully functioning. We've got many people who are adults, 30 years old, 50 years old, 70 year old, 80 year old, who have pacemakers because their hearts aren't functioning fully or properly or can function by themselves. We don't say to those people, well, you're not actually human. You have no intrinsic value and it's morally fine for us to terminate your life because you don't have a functioning heart. We can't say that. We don't say that. We don't believe that. And so it's very inconsistent to say, well, this is the case in the womb, but it's not the case outside the womb because both needs to stand independently, don't they? We can't say that a heartbeat is the thing which determines life if we're not willing to say that for people outside the womb. So it's a very inconsistent line to draw. Um, where else might you, you draw the line? You might say, well, life begins, for example, when the fetus is sentient. So when it feels things, when it can feel, for example, pain, we're not sure exactly when that is, when a fetus can feel pain. But there is a point where it's obvious that to, to terminate the pregnancy would cause actual pain to the, the fetus inside the womb. And so you might say, well, it's morally acceptable to terminate the pregnancy before the point where the, the, the um, fetus can feel pain. And after that, then it's morally unacceptable. But again, that, that's a very inconsistent line to draw because that's not the logic which we believe to be true about life outside the womb. We, we don't believe, for example, that it's okay to terminate someone's life uh, as long as they don't feel the pain. So if I slip something in their drink, or if I kill them in their sleep, or if I, um, while they're unconscious, um, just kind of terminate their life, even though I know they're going to wake up in a few days or a few months, um, we wouldn't consider that something that's very moral. And so again, our argument kind of falls down because we're being very, very inconsistent, aren't we? Um, if you're a very extreme pro-choicer, another argument that you might propose is that life begins at the first breath, so the whole way through those nine months, it's it's morally viable to terminate the pregnancy because the, the fetus is borrowing oxygen from its mother. And so since it's borrowing oxygen, it's dependent upon uh, an other source for oxygen. Because of that, um, the fetus can't be considered a human life. But again, if you extend that logic to life outside the womb, it falls down. There, there are many people at particular points in their life rely on... Um, oxygen from other people. There are, for example, people who go under surgery and they need to wear an oxygen mask or they're doing whatever the case may be and they require an oxygen mask or a scuba diver, whatever the case may be. At those points where they're depending on oxygen from an other source, they don't cease to be human. Again, it makes no sense. Sure doesn't. Um, someone else might say, well, it's not a human life because, you know, it's dependent upon its mother. But again, whenever a baby is born, when it's one years old, two years old, three years old, four years old, even when it's outside the womb, it's still dependent on its mother, isn't it? It still needs its mother. If it's just left to its own devices without a mother or a father or a guardian, it's not going to survive. It's going to die. 
So wherever you draw the line, whereby you say it's it's you know acceptable to terminate the pregnancy, and um, within those nine months, wherever you say within those nine months that life begins apart from conception, you're forced to be very very inconsistent in your views. And so that's why I believe that the most consistent, the most logical place to believe that life actually begins is at conception, that moment where you know the egg is fertilized and this whole new genetic code is formed, uh, when this little embryo, when left to its own natural devices, will go through the natural stages of human development. That is the point where life begins. I think that is the most consistent uh, line to draw because everywhere else you try to draw the line, the argument falls down. Um, and of course, that's just one way you can approach this idea of where life begins. There's a far more scientific approach that you could take. I'm not very good at science. I was never good at science. Um, but of course, loads of studies have been done. There's loads of very complex scientific debates about abortion that you can watch online. And again, when you listen to those and watch those, I still think the pro-life one seems to be more convincing, to be honest. Um, but again, if you want to search for those things, look elsewhere on YouTube. Um, my scientific knowledge would uh, embarrass me. But that, 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 that is the key question. Where does life begin? When does life begin? And so if we then agree that life begins at conception, which I think it does, that then plays into the second thing that I want us to look at, which is some of the very common objections that we hear as it relates to uh, abortion. So let, let's look at some of these objections and then think about how we might approach them. The first objection, which we always hear, is um, about the, the instances of rape. Um, you know, rape is something which unfortunately happens in our world because we live in a fallen, broken world. And of course, in a lot of instances, women who have been raped find themselves then, because of that rape, becoming pregnant. Uh, and then the, the, the accusation is, well, how can you, as someone who is pro-life, force a woman to carry a baby um, which she conceived out of rape? Now, again, the first thing that we must say is that rape is abhorrent. It's disgusting. It's disgraceful. And, and anyone who is found guilty of such things should be held to the highest degree of judgment and punishment. And, and as Christians, we can have comfort that we have a God of justice who will bring every wrong to right. Uh, and justice will come, ultimate justice, real justice, which we don't find in this world. And so that's the thing we must emphasize and stress in the strongest terms, that rape is abhorrent and wrong. Um, but the other thing we must acknowledge as it relates to the abortion debate is that that abortions which take place as a consequence of rape are a very, 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 very small percentage of all abortions. I can't remember the exact figure, but it's something like 0.05% of all abortions are abortions because of rape, instances of rape. And so as a general principle, it's not really a good policy to, to, to justify the other millions of abortions which take place every year, or I say millions, I don't know what the exact figure is, thousands at least, the thousands of, it's not right to justify the thousands and thousands and thousands of abortions that take place every year for the sake of the 0.05% of abortions that take place because of rape. And, and actually, I think it's a little bit unfair to rape victims. I think it's a little bit unfair to, to those who have suffered the trauma of rape to use them as a pawn to try and justify the, the greater thing that you're trying to, to do, which is to justify all other uh, cases of abortion, I think that's very unfair to rape victims, to be totally honest. Uh, and so I think as a general principle, um, the abortion discussion shouldn't, um, as a whole, be determined by the small, small percentage of women who've been raped uh, and are pregnant because of, because of rape. Um, now, the question then is, well, what about those who have been raped and, how, and are pregnant because of um, the suggestion of rape? Th this is where I think it's important to remember what we just said in the first point. The first point is this. If 
where it's saying that life begins at conception, that means even though the woman has went through the horrific ordeal of rape, it still would be considered immoral, wouldn't it, to terminate the the, the life inside of her if it is a, a life, which we say it is because it was life begins at conception. Even though she suffered such a horrific ordeal, it still would be considered immoral, would it not? Because you're still terminating life. Um, this would be the same logic as, you know, say there's a 10-year-old boy uh, and his he was conceived out of rape. Um, we, we wouldn't say at that point that it's moral to, to end a 10-year-old boy's life because he was conceived out of rape. That, that wouldn't be moral. Why? Because he's got intrinsic value. He's a human life and it's not right to end his life as a 10-year-old boy because his father was a rapist and he was conceived out of rape. That wouldn't be right. And so the same principle is true for a fetus in the womb. If that really is a life, which we do believe life begins at conception, even though, unfortunately, tragically, that fetus was conceived out of rape, because it is a human life, it still is not moral or, or shouldn't be permissible then to terminate that life because it was conceived um, via rape. That's the, the reality of, of the situation, which is, of course, again, we want to stress tragic for individuals who have been um, found in that situation. So that's the first, the first objection, which is the case of rape. Uh, secondly, uh, the second accusation is, well, we don't have a right to tell a woman what to do with her body. And this is, again, probably the most common thing we hear as it relates to, to um, uh, the abortion debate and the accusations and the objections to pro-life, um, uh, pro-life campaigners is, how dare you tell a woman what she, what she can do with her body? It becomes a woman's right issue. Um, but again, thinking about what we just established, this is why that first question is the most important question. When does life begin? Again, if we answer that question by coming to the conclusion that life begins at conception, then we must then also by extension conclude that this is not her body. The, the, the fetus inside of her cannot be considered her body. It's another body inside of her, isn't it? You know, you don't say to the eight-month pregnant woman, you know, that she has... Let me ask you this question. How many fingers does an eight-month pregnant woman have? How many fingers does she have? I think any eight-month pregnant woman would say, I've got 10 fingers. She doesn't have 20 fingers, right? Because she does have 10 fingers here, and there are also 10 fingers inside of her, the fetus, the baby inside of her has 10 fingers. But you don't say, well, an eight-month pregnant woman has 20 fingers because it's all my body. You wouldn't say that. That's absurd. Because you acknowledge that the, the being inside of her is a different body. It's a different person. You know, if a, a, a pregnant woman is eight months pregnant, seven months pregnant, and she's carrying a baby boy, we wouldn't say that that woman has male reproductive parts, right? Because, you know, if you say it's all her body, then you're saying she does have male reproductive parts because there is male reproductive parts in her womb, and you're saying that that's her body, so she has male reproductive parts. Of course she doesn't because that's not her body. Um, if we agree that life begins at conception, the whole argument, my body, my choice, doesn't really wash because we then acknowledge that it's not actually my body, it's another body living inside of me, which is how, of course, life is created. So that's the second objection. The third objection we hear uh, against those who are pro-life is really one of hypocrisy. Uh, people might say, well, it's very hypocritical of you to be so passionate against abortion, all the while you're not so passionate about, say, adoption. So why don't you invest all that energy that you direct towards opposing abortion, and why don't you direct it towards you know, adoption? Surely then, if, that, if you really care about the issue, that's where you'd invest your energy. But I don't, I don't really think that, that that's fair. Um, the first thing to say is that Christians are passionate about adoption and historically have been. In fact, if you look at the, the Roman Empire, historical Roman Empire, when you think about how 
you know, newborns were treated, particularly newborn girls or newborn babies with disabilities. They were really tossed out into the trash. Um, it was Christians who really spearheaded adoption in those days. And so Christians do and should be passionate about adoption. But in spite of that, to say that anyone who's a pro-life, holds a pro-life position, is hypocritical because they also don't adopt children or don't, you know, put money towards adoption every month. That's not really a fair accusation. That's like, you know, that's like this This is like, you know, me going out and harming a homeless person. I think you at that point will be well within your rights to say, you shouldn't do that. You're not allowed to harm homeless people. That's morally wrong. And then for me to turn to you and say, well, how much money do you give to homeless charities every month? You know, have you ever took a homeless person into your house? That's not really relevant. It doesn't change the fact that it's morally wrong for me to harm a homeless person. And that's the same logic, isn't it? That's exactly the same logic. Just because a particular person doesn't adopt a child or doesn't pay for supporting adoptions agencies every month doesn't change the fact that they believe that it's morally wrong to terminate a pregnancy. Two separate issues. And so that's not really a fair accusation. Uh, fourth one you might hear, accusation or objection, uh, is that surely the, the, the fetus in the womb, sure it's just a cluster of cells anyway. It's just a cluster of cells. So what's the big deal? Um, and I think, again, I think this is just an attempt to dehumanize the fetus that exists within the womb. A cluster of cells, you know, we're technically a cluster of cells, if, if that's your definition of a cluster of cells. So what gives us any value? But a cluster of cells, when left to its own devices, doesn't become a fully developed human being. I'm sure it doesn't. It doesn't have a fully developed, you know, adult. That's not what a cluster of cells does when left to its natural devices. And so I, I think it's just an attempt to dehumanize um, the, the, the fetus inside the womb to say it's a cluster of cells. Last accusation then we might hear is, well, if, if this baby was to be born, sure, it would have a pretty poor standard of life anyway, so it's better that I just terminate the pregnancy and that justifies terminating the pregnancy. Um, but once again, um, going back to that original question, which this is why I said it was a foundational question because I think it answers all these accusations. If we say that life begins at conception, if that's when life begins, then under no circumstances does it justify you terminating that life because you are terminating a life. And so it's not your place to become the judge and say, well, you know, your life's probably not going to be great, so I can terminate your life here. You don't have the right to do that if this is an independent human life. You know, you couldn't do that to a two-year-old. You couldn't say, you know, uh, your, your future doesn't look great, so I think it's just best that we just end your life right here. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because you're terminating a life. It's not your life. You can't be the judge. And if we say that life begins at conception, um, again, the whole nine months that that baby is in the womb, we then have no right to say, well, here's what your future is probably going to look like. And so I'll be the judge as to whether or not you should live. Again, if we determine that life begins at conception, that's not our place to be the judge. And so those are a few objections. Uh, of course, there's more that we probably could cover. Um, but those are some of the objections which are often cloaked in, in different slogans. My body, my choice, all these things. Um, don't have a right to tell one what they do with their body. Uh, and so, again, th this is why that, that first question, when does life begin? That really is the key question that we all need to wrestle with and all debate as we think about the issue of abortion. But that's all I've got for you today. Um, of course, there's a lot more that could be said about this topic. And again, as I said at the beginning, this is not my attempt to be exhaustive or to give you a comprehensive um, answer, the once for all answer with regard to abortion. Um, this is just my attempt, hopefully humble attempt. Again, I'm not trying to provoke the, um, you know, uh, 
raging debate and uh, pick fights with anyone. It's not my my intentions at all. Uh, this is just acknowledging this is a really important issue. It's a live issue. And uh, given that it's such an important issue, it is important that we have open dialogue about our convictions in a calm way, um, but an open way. And so this is my attempt to um, convey to you why I think uh, the pro-life position is the most convincing and why uh, it's something that we all should think seriously and think deeply about. Um, it's no good just believing something because the vast majority of people seem to believe it. It's no good believing something because it's got a, a good little catchy soundbite attached to it. Uh, this issue is far too important um, than just going along with the soundbites or the catchy slogans um, or the emotional stories because both sides can provide you with emotional stories which can you know further or strengthen their cause. We have to look at it um, in the cold light of day and think and ask ourselves what is uh, the moral, the right thing to do. And particularly for watching this as a Christian, of course, as we said at the beginning, uh, God's word will massively influence um, how you see this uh, particular issue. That's all we've got a time for today. I hope you found this helpful and uh, we'll be back next week, next Tuesday with another episode of Youth Talk. So stay tuned uh, next Tuesday for another uh, week of thinking through a different topic from the perspective of a Christian young person. Have a great day. Thank you.